I'm TL, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week at Mass, we say those words, I believe, but our belief has implications on the way we live our life. The rest of the week, we explore those implications together right here on Outside the Walls. Well, we made it through the Christmas holidays. We got all the way through the baptism of the Lord, and and things are supposed to kind of even out now, right? We're entering into uh, ordinary time in the church calendar, and uh, all of our Christmas candy is gone by now. We're like, all right, things are going to return to normal. We're going to be able to relax a little bit and calm down. And uh, the craziness of life is just magically going to to disappear as we return to normal life. But not in this house. Nope. Uh, today I walked into the kitchen and there, <laughs> there were the ingredients for four cakes. That's right, four cakes. Because in the span of four weeks, we have four birthdays. <laughs> so say a prayer for us. Uh, and then immediately after those birthdays, we enter into uh, a season that is uh, sacred here in our household. It's called the season of daddy apocalypse. <laughs> and daddy apocalypse is when mom goes away for a week. Uh, for a number of years, she was on the, um, the board of the Billings Ovulation Method Association here in the United States. Uh, now she's off of that. She finally got off the board after uh, after six years of service uh, and immediately started working with the International uh, Association, the, the Womb International, which is part of the uh, parent organization of the Billings Ovulation Method. And she is the, uh, the representative to the United Nations. So every March, she um, goes away for a week to, uh, to New York City and uh, shows that she is a rock star and she is too good for me. And I am blessed beyond measure to have her. Uh, if, if you want to, if you want to help us out with that, a couple of things you can do. One, pray for my children because it's just hard for them when mom's gone. Secondly, pray for my wife as she goes with a team from womb international, which is the uh, parent method of the Billings ovulation method. Uh, and goes to represent them at the UN's Commission on the Status of Women uh, in March. And then lastly, I've got a link there. You can see a little bit of the work that she did last year uh, by going to our social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. There's also an opportunity there to support the work that they're doing this year. Uh, And lastly, I wouldn't, you know, you're praying for the kids. You're praying for my wife. You might as well while you're already there. You might as well pray for me, too, as we head into uh, the, the, the beloved, the anticipated daddy apocalypse. When we first named the daddy apocalypse, it was because I was sure that it was going to be the end of the world, that I was not going to be able to, uh, to manage without her because she is so amazing in, uh, in running the household. And I don't have those skills, but... Um, Thankfully, by the grace of God and a couple of well-placed notes, I, I was able to make it through. We did, had a great week. Um, but we've maintained the name, the Daddy Apocalypse, because the kids have become convinced that it's the end of the world. Because they, you know, they have their way of being, and there's their, uh, the rhythms of life that they have uh, when mom is in charge. And all of that goes away. It's like the laws of physics somehow are suspended whenever dad's in charge and mom's gone. And so, you know, you hear over and over again, but dad, that's not how mom does it. And I smile sweetly. I look at them and I say, welcome to the daddy apocalypse, right? 
things are different this week. Uh, and I feel like that's what a lot of parenting is, that you have these moments where you have to make some course corrections. Things may be different. You might have to kind of uh, limp your way through a week, and that's okay. You know, we have this idea that we somehow have to be perfect parents and that the house has to be spotless and our children always have to be um, seraphic, right? Just perfect little angels. And, uh, and that's just not reality. And if that's our expectation, we're setting ourselves up for massive levels of frustration because whenever our expectations clash with reality, frustration is the result. And reality is always going to win. So in order to limit frustration and to, to give ourselves the best opportunity to have a spirit of peace in our home, we have to have realistic expectations for our children, for, um, for their attitudes and behavior. We have to have realistic expectations uh, for ourselves and how we're going to respond to given scenarios. We have to make allowances and give ourselves plenty of margin. Uh, space where we can breathe, uh, because it's in those tense moments, it's when things are packed in together that we find ourselves on edge and responding in a, a little bit of a snippy tone or, or worse. So setting those realistic expectations, giving ourselves the space, the margin to, to make really wise decisions, and then lastly, having a really clear picture of what it means for us to be a parent, what it means to parent our children. Because if we have this uh, inflated view or, or distorted view of what it means to be a parent, if we're aiming uh, at a goal for our children that's really not uh, feasible, then we're going to end up, again, discouraged and frustrated. So today we're going to be talking about that. What is the identity of a parent? What does it mean for us to be successful parents? And we're going to discuss that with Kim Cameron Smith. She's got a new book out on our Sunday Visitor Press called Discipleship Parenting, Planting Seeds of Faith. And I think that it really very clearly addresses for us uh, and helps us hone in on what is it that will make us a success as a parent. What can we look to at the end of our days uh, of parenting and say, yeah, I did it. I succeeded in passing the faith on to my children. I gave them the tools they needed to be able to live a virtuous life. So today we're going to explore that with Kim Cameron Smith and try to get a really clear picture, both of the, the goals that we should be aiming for and also some practical tools that we can utilize to get there. So don't go anywhere because it's going to be a fascinating discussion. But I would love for you to come over to social media. Join the conversation on Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle is at Outside the Walls. And talk to me about some of your parenting escapades. Maybe you had a daddy apocalypse of your own or something similar. Why don't you tell us about that and share your story of, as an encouragement to the rest of us. And don't go anywhere. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. 
And we're back into ordinary time now in the church here. And so we can begin to broaden our uh, our view outside of these feasts of the church. We're talking today with Kim Cameron Smith, who has just quite the resume. Uh, she's the host of the General Catholic Parenting Podcast, founder and editor of the Parenting Ministry International Catholic Parenting, and author of a brand new book uh, from our Sunday visitor called Discipleship Parenting, Planting Seeds of Faith. And I love this picture, Kim, because um, this is the picture that, that Christ gives, casting seeds of faith and doing the hard work of a farmer uh, of cultivating those uh, the, the life of faith in our children. So thank you for being on the show today. Oh, I'm so delighted to be here. I really appreciate the invitation. Thank you for that introduction. And I agree that vision, if we can have a vision of ourselves um, as planting the seeds and remembering that the seeds are little, you're just planting the seeds and sometimes you don't see what's going on under the soil, but we can provide rich fertilizer for the soil and those seeds need to germinate take root, and those roots need to become strong before the plant comes up. And so sometimes we look at um, what's happening today, and we become panicked because we think something's going wrong, but really those seeds could be germinating beneath the soil. Well, and then I, I think of the various stages that we uh, that we process with planting a flower garden, for instance, you know, if you, if you start from the seed, then you have it in the little seed pod, you have it in a very specific location and you treat yep. it very gently and you, uh, you know, you, you spritz the water on it. You don't just have a, a full stream on, right? You give them, uh, the, the seeds, what they need. And then once they have broken through the soil and you start to see the little leaves, you give it a little bit longer before you then transplant it into a new location. And this really is a gorgeous picture of parenting uh, because I treat my my five month old a lot differently than I treat my twelve year old, they're in different stages of the same process, right? Uh, different, yeah. different in in state, but not in kind. That's right. And one reason I like what you're saying, and it's something that's really important to me, is that some people, you know, I kind of like my show is called the Gentle Catholic Parenting Podcast, and people immediately think. Oh, gentle parenting. That's that wimpy parenting where you just let your kids do whatever they want and you give them whatever you want. No, no, no. Not for so maybe some people feel that way, but for me, the reason why I appreciate what you're saying, it's giving me an opportunity to clarify that for me, yes, a baby is very different from a 12 year old. That 12 year old needs to strengthen the roots and so if you think about a plant, if we keep them in the greenhouse, protecting them for too long, it's actually bad for them. They need to become strong by blowing around in the wind a bit, right? Mm -hmm. So I believe that children need the, how do I describe this? Like they need the inevitable frustrations in life. They need to hit walls and we can't protect them from that. We can encourage them through it. We can give them you know, mentoring about moving through that. I'm not only talking about faith crises, but I'm talking about getting in, in, in trouble because they broke a rule or they got a bad grade on a test, helping our children grapple with the inevitable failures and frustrations of life as part of rate of, you know, growing a strong plant. So as I approached your book, 
the book again is Discipleship Parenting, Planting Seeds of Faith on Our Sunday Visitor Press. Uh, one of the things that I, I look at, and of course I work in the realm of, of discipleship and evangelization in my day job, and one of the things that I see very often is we are ill-prepared for discipleship and for evangelization, primarily because we don't have a, a clear picture or a proper picture of what discipleship entails. We've got a, we have a picture. We think of discipleship as, hey, I'm going to send my kids to CCD and we're going to say, mm. our, we're going to say our prayers at night. Uh, and they're going to, they're going to get their sacraments and they're going to go through um, confirmation and they're, they're going to stay in the church. That's our picture of discipleship. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and then our picture of parenting is oftentimes really closed in on this individual stage that we have our children in that I've got to deal mm-hmm. deal with the emotions of my teenager. I've got to uh, deal with the, the tantrums of my two-year-old. And what my wife and I have said from, uh, from the very early years is that I'm not raising a two-year-old. I'm raising a 35-year-old who just hasn't gotten there yet. And so I have to be um, present with the end in mind. Otherwise, I get lost in the, the turmoil of the moment. Yeah. So I feel like, I feel we have to, really clarify and get a, a clear picture of our identity as parents and as disciples before we can effectively be a discipling parent? Well, two things that you say really stand out to me. Number one, I agree. There is a, of course, I want my children to remain Catholic. I would like them to continue going to mass into adulthood. Of course, of course, I would like my children to understand the content of the faith. But for me, that is separate um, you know, you can know the content of the faith and you can be going to mass for all the wrong reasons. You can be going just because, you know, your wife is making you go, or you can go because you're afraid of going to hell. To me, that is not discipleship. So there's a distinction for me between continuing to grow spiritually and um, nourishing the relationship we have with God and continuing to grow as a Christian and just, you know, showing up on Sunday. And, um, I, and I agree that we as parents, we can lose sight of um, what are, especially nowadays, we are so bombarded by messages about what our kids need, what we should be doing as parents, what's really important. And really, our deepest, most important purpose as parents is to evangelize our children so that they become disciples. So we need to nourish our own, um, you know, souls and our own spiritual lives so that we can remain in a discipleship relationship with Jesus so that Jesus is leading us. And these are distinct um, stages. We are evangelizing our children so we can lead them to the bridge of discipleship and they will need to make the choice whether they cross that bridge. And so my book is about getting your children to the bridge. And that includes giving them, you know, the right quote information, but it's also about the heart of the disciple, how the heart of of the disciple is cultivated. And, and for me, what's important is that um, the heart, a disciple has a soft heart, a disciple, um, is able to connect with people, not with programs. A disciple is searching for Jesus, not with, not, you know, he's not, they're, they're not looking for status. They're looking for a relationship with Christ. Yeah. So that's kind of um, 
you know, my kind of insight about our role as parents. Like, I think the discipleship role is critical mm-hmm. to, um, you know, what we're doing as we're raising our children. But I also have compassion for parents. I get bogged down. You know, our alarm went off in the middle of the, the burglar alarm went off in the middle of the night last night and the kids couldn't get back to sleep because they're scared, you know, and you're like, there are these little moments that feel like big crises that like your child, you know, um, you know, gets a speeding ticket or whatever. There are little things that kids do and you can become so focused on that one the illness or the the ticket that you forget. How does all of this fit into the larger picture? Because Jesus raised his disciples. He led his disciples in the real life every day. He lived side by side with them. He all, They also had arguments. They also messed up. And that's us. We don't disciple outside of those crises. We disciple our children through them. We evangelize them through those moments. We're talking today with Kim Cameron Smith, and as I as I look at this, uh, the the whole role of a disciple is one who is in relationship with with Christ. But as parents, we as we as we direct our children towards that, the first um, the typology, the first type of that that they're going to experience is their relationship with us. They get their concept of how God. Uh, is and what his qualities are by how we parent. So if they see us as overbearing or too permissive or anything along those lines, this is the picture that we give them of who God the Father is. And so for us, it's it's incumbent upon us to uh, to really rely on the the graces of God as we parent. To to throw up that quick prayer of. Oh dear Jesus, how am I going to deal with this thing that that has popped up that was unexpected? Um, before we then go in to our response to our children, because we are the ambassador uh, for God to our children, and, and I think of uh, Sherry Waddell's great work on the stages of discipleship, on being an intentional disciple, and realizing when our children are born, they don't come out even as we baptize them and bring them into the family of faith through that sacrament, they don't immediately become disciples. We have to take them through those stages of, um, of curiosity and of trust and building these bridges of trust to a place where they are willing to approach and begin to give God their concerns and to start into genuine prayer and to become uh open to that relationship in the ways that God wants to uh, to connect with them. Yeah, I love Sherry's book, and you're right. I, I actually mention her book in my book, and the thing that she says that I think is really helpful for parents is she said that the disciple— the, the road to discipleship begins in a relationship of trust. That the that the um, budding disciple or the person or the maybe unaffiliated or unevangelized, they develop some relationship that brings them closer to Jesus. Well, that's us. We are the relationship par excellence that will lead our children to Jesus. And you're right. Um, there are these stages of faith in the book um, by I think his name is James Fowler, and so he studied this. Um, development of faith. And you are right. A child's first relationships and his family create a lens through which 
he kind of experiences all his relationships, his relationships with significant others, with friends, with work people, and with God. And that is the really fascinating um, new emerging um, studies coming out about how a person's um, relationship status, that's called attachment status. This is separate from attachment parenting. So your attachment status, like if you're secure, if you're anxious, if you're avoidant, there are these different categories of how you feel in relationships with people. They apply to God. So if you are secure, you will tend to see God as, you know, safe and approachable. If you're kind of an anxious um, person, you'll kind of avoid um, being angry with God, having trouble feeling honest with God. And if you're dismissive, you just don't have want anything to do with God. So having an awareness of that, and it doesn't mean you have to practice the parenting practices associated with attachment parenting, but having an awareness of how a child develops that sense of security and the um, sense of safety in your care, those are very relevant to any discussion about discipleship. We're talking today with Kim Cameron Smith. She's the author of a brand new book, Discipleship Parenting, Planting Seeds of Faith, available on our Sunday Visitor. Join the ongoing conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Share the story with us of a recent parenting win that you may have experienced. When we come back, we're going to be looking at the practicals of being a discipling parent. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily lives. I'm your host, T.L. Every once in a while, a book comes across uh, my path that is so intriguing that I know that we have to talk about it here on the show. And just such a thing happened here recently. Uh, It's Discipleship Parenting by Kim Cameron Smith. Uh, available on our Sunday Visitor Press. I saw it a couple of weeks ago on Twitter. I commented on it immediately because that's just right up my alley. And so today we're breaking it down. We're exploring this idea of what it means to parent with uh, being a disciple and creating disciples in mind. Uh, We're having a conversation with the author, Kim Cameron Smith. And right now, what I want to look at uh, that you bring up really well is looking at discipleship outside of that traditional realm that we've thought about it. We tend to think mm-hmm. of, of discipleship as having those conversations of faith, right? That I'm going to sit down and we, we've so segmented out our lives that we've got our, our time for school. We've got our time for church. We've got our uh, time. Maybe if we're going to have dinner as a family, we do that. But, but you're looking at discipleship as being a holistic thing, that everything that we do as parents ought to be pointing towards this discipleship. So uh, what I wanted to really bring out is what does that look like uh, as we play with our children? That's one of the topics of your, one of the titles of a, a chapter. How do we disciple through play at the various levels and stages of our children's lives? Well, play, I think the play chapter might be my favorite chapter. And I think that um, one thing I really love about it is that children are playmasters. 
And it happens to be one of the ways children learn about God. They learn about delight, about creativity. And so often in, in Western culture, we trivialize play. We think, oh, that's the thing we do, you know, after we've done the important thing, you know, work. But kids know that play is where they encounter, um, you know, they encounter the divine. And so um, I break down that chapter. Basically, it's for the parents to remember how to play. I, I kind of um, suggest the importance of non-structured play, just like a playful um, um, attitude in your home, like a lighthearted attitude. This is the virtue of eutropelia of just being lighthearted, joking around with your kids. Why is that important? Because it develops rapport. It develops just the basic spirit in your home. And that makes your home more inviting. It makes you, um, your, your kids actually hear you better when you have a more playful, lighthearted attitude. And I talk about the importance of family play, of setting time aside every week just to hang out. And then I talk about how important play is for child development, including faith development. But the big point is that, yes, play is part of the path of discipleship. It's part of the path of becoming a disciple, and it's part of being a parent disciple of evangelizing your children. It's one of the best ways to reach your children, to evangelize them. Now, we have, um, we have eight children and and so this has happened by necessity, but I, I think that even if we didn't, if we had a, a smaller family, this would still be something that would be important to us. And that you mentioned unstructured playtime. Uh, I think mm-hmm. so often we have uh, we have programmed out our children's leisure time. Right? This we're, the, here's this mm-hmm. activity. Here's that activity. And I, I don't know if you ever read the the comic strip back in the day, Calvin and Hobbes. But the, the idea of playing with our children, a kind of Calvin ball uh, experience where you kind of make up the rules on the fly and it's not really structured around, oh, well, I got to go do this team thing. And then I've got, uh, we've got a tournament over this week. There needs to be, I feel, some, some time that is completely unrestrained by the, the, uh, the requirements of team or of logic or of rules. Yeah, exactly. I, I, and of course, I think it's great if kids are in team sports and sort of extracurricular activities, but I really thank you for reminding me that, about that. I, I, it's very important in my home that my kids have plenty of downtime every day just for doing nothing, just for staring at the wall, and, because it's important for their um, emotional well-being, and they can't really sit or they can't think big questions about God, about their purpose, if every single minute of their day is filled up with something, quote, important. Mm-hmm. And so um, this is just something that was easy for me. Some things in my um, parenting approach were harder for me, but this was easy for me. Like I, I was like a machine, a learning machine when I was a young woman. I was like nonstop learning and I did not have rest. I did not really um, have joy in my life. So when I became a parent, it was, I knew intuitively that will not happen to my children. They will not equate their value with what they are doing, that it's okay for them just to be. 
And indeed, I found out later, there are many books written about this, about, you know, the overscheduled child, the, you know, premature, like pushing children prematurely into academic activities. And, you know, we can take or leave that and we can argue about that. But there's no question that our children are too busy. And if our families are too busy, we don't have time to connect. We don't have time to build a family history. And that is where we transmit faith to our children is in our family traditions and rituals. And if you're all in different places at different scouting meetings and bowling tournaments, then that's where they're getting their rituals from, not in your home, through your faith traditions and through your fun play and through your, you know, eat cooking together, right? Developing meaning together that way. So we, we talk about play, but the other side of that is every once in a while, our kids are going to do things that require correction, that require mm-hmm. discipline, not in the sense of becoming a disciple or, or not as explicitly in that sense, but uh, a, a teaching opportunity, as it were, a discipline. Uh, and you have a chapter about approaching discipline from a merciful way. Uh, you know, we all lose, uh, well, I say we all, I lose my temper from time to time with my kids, and I recognize that, but it becomes even more important as we discipline our children to do it in mind of how I treat them it, when I'm being um, right in the, in the heat of the moment is going to be how they perceive God is going to treat them. So it's incumbent on me to practice virtue, to reflect the virtue that that finds its fullness in God so that they have a proper understanding of God's love and God's mercy and how to approach him uh, in those moments when they have failed in a larger way than writing on the walls or sneaking food up to their room. Gosh, I love that. And what I really love about what you're saying is you're right. Our children they you know, were their models for how to treat others when other people mess up. So not only are we creating a model for how God feels about them, but that's how they will treat people who mess up with them. And when I use the term merciful discipline, sometimes people think I mean letting them off. And I do not mean that. What I mean is mercy is entering into the chaos of another and trying to bring order to that chaos. That's God bringing order to the chaos of the world when he created the world. That's how I am using the term merciful. And I, I do the same thing. Like, first of all, I have a really bad temper. So I, I know what you mean. Like, I, something I've really had to work on is my temper. And when I feel myself reaching, I call it my freak out threshold. <laughs> I have to parent myself and put myself in a timeout because... I can really, um, anyway, so I, I've had to parent myself in that way, but I'm, I do the same thing you do. I feel like, yes, there are virtues I need to teach my children through this mistake, and that is an opportunity, but there are also virtues I need to learn in transmitting those lessons. And so, um, you know, I have a whole chapter on what I mean by merciful discipline. I talk about you know, a lot of we parents, um, I mean, I don't, I, when, when I grew up, children were not allowed to express particular emotions. If you were too sad or too angry, you were being disrespectful. Mm-hmm. And so you could be just, it's possible you were being disrespectful, but the thing I came into adulthood, not understanding is it's not a sin 
to be angry and it's not a sin to be sad. It could be, but it's not necessary. And so I just talk a little bit in my that chapter about the emotions and how important it is for our children's well-being to have all of their feelings when they grow up. To not do what I did, which is to filter out my sadness and my anger like it wasn't there. And then it just, it's still sitting there, not processed. Yeah. So in my parenting, I've had to develop tools for helping my children, you know, because I would kind of do the same thing to them. I would get panicked if they were sad, mm-hmm. or I would become angry if they were angry. And so I had to learn not to take things personally, and I had to learn how to shepherd them through those feelings so they could understand them and teach them how you express those feelings in an appropriate way. So it does not become a problem. So it doesn't damage their relationships. You know, so often we want our children to be able to respond immediately in an appropriate way. If they're, Mm -hmm. if they're angry, we want them to, to be immediately able to control that emotion. And yet at the same time, so often in our response to them, we're not able to control our own emotions. Uh, so oh, I, gosh, that's true. Yeah. I, I look at this, and so often I think we parents think that we have to have it together and we have to know exactly how to approach this situation, and we're on our own as parents. But we are first and foremost disciples of Jesus Christ who are in a relationship with God, and we can take a moment and and exercise temperance and fortitude and and take ourselves out of that situation and say, okay, we're going to deal with this, but for now I want you to do a five minute cool down. This is not a discipline. This is a five minute cool down. They think that it's directed at them as a child. Really it's for us to go and say, Oh dear Jesus, I need help with this. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I do tell my kids that I said, I need to go have a timeout. (laughs) I'm going to go have a mommy timeout and they get that. And so I do, um, I do that all of the time. Gosh, I just love what you're saying so much because what you're doing is you're reframing the problem. And I really appreciate that because it is true that these behaviors in our kids are a problem. Of course, we don't want our kids, you know, writing with Sharpie on the table. And of course, we don't want them sticking their tongue out at us. But let's keep the big picture in mind. We are trying to shepherd these kids to adulthood in, and with um, with their all of their feelings and with spiritual maturity and with a heart for Christ. Let's keep that in mind. And if this moment is not the right moment to deal with the Sharpie on the table, just chill out for a minute and then come back to it. Every moment, like these sort of chaotic moments, we have great grace. God has given us everything we need to deal with it. And in dealing with it, he's parenting us. Mm-hmm. He will parent you through your parenting. You will make it. You are the right parent for your child. You got this. We've been talking today with Kim Cameron Smith. She's the author of the brand new book, Discipleship Parenting, Planting Seeds of Faith, available right now on Our Sunday Visitor. Join me over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Today, I would love to hear about a parenting win. Tell me a story that you've experienced recently. When we come back, we're going to be looking at our readings from Scripture and church history to understand more deeply this idea of being discipleship parents. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. And today we had a great conversation with Kim Cameron Smith. She has got a brand new book called Discipleship Parenting, Planting Seeds of Faith. It's available right now on our Sunday Visitor Press. You can get there by going to osv.com. We've also got a link to it over on our social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. If you missed any part of the discussion or you want to go back and listen to it again or share it with your friends, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. And as always, there's more to my conversation with this week's guest, Kim Cameron Smith, available to those who support the show through Patreon. So while you're there at OutsideTheWalls.com, up in the top right-hand corner, you'll find a link that says support the show hyphen Patreon. Click that link and follow the directions and you can become a supporter as well for as little as $5 a month and get access to weekly extra segments with our guests, uh, which is a little bit more uh, laid back. We dig into the deep questions, the, uh, the personal stories, and always have just a fantastic time with our guests. So I invite you to go over there, take a look at our Patreon tiers, our community there, and see if you might like to join the community of people who keep us on the air each week. Well, let's go ahead and turn our attention now to our readings from Scripture and from church history. Our reading from Scripture comes from the Gospel of Mark, where we hear, Jesus went out along the sea, and the crowd came to him, and he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the customs post. Jesus said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed Jesus. While he was at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners sat with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Some scribes who were Pharisees saw that Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors and said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus heard this and said to them, Those who are well do not need a physician, but the sick do. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. That reading comes from the Gospel of Mark. And a couple of things that are there that I that really catch my attention. And the first is this. We hear that story and the other accounts of Jesus calling his disciples. And it seems pretty well uh, laid out. We know how the story goes. You know, Jesus walks up to uh, to James and John, the sons of Zebedee, as they sit in their father's boat. And he says, come follow me. And they, they leave their father's nets and they follow him. And he comes up to Levi, to Matthew at the tax collector's booth. And he says, come follow me. And he leaves everything behind and he, and he goes. And we have this picture that we can recite the story, but we don't take the time to really put ourselves in their shoes. As we tell the story, it's safe and sanitized. But if we look at our life where we are right now and ask the question, how would we respond if Christ came up to us and looked us in the eye and said, follow me, not in some metaphorical sense, but literally stop what you're doing and follow me. I'm going to walk this way and I want you to walk this way with me. Something in uh, either his reputation had preceded him, maybe he had had some interactions with them before this moment, but we have this moment where Jesus walks up to them and gives them a choice. And in that choice, the ones that we hear about that 
in this instance, they left what they had and they followed him. In another place, we see Jesus offering that same call to others, and they say, oh, well, let me go uh, say goodbye to my parents. Let me uh, bury my father. Let me do all of these other things first. And Jesus keeps walking. So discipleship requires something significant from us. It requires it from us as parents. It requires it from us just as individuals who are called to follow after Christ. What is that thing that we have that we're holding on to that would prevent us from being faithful disciples? Is it our father's nets? Is it our our tax collector booth? Not only is his job, his livelihood, uh, but certain attitudes and behaviors and uh, lenses through which he viewed people, right? What are the things that, like Levi, like James and John, like Peter, Christ is asking us to leave behind in order to follow him? And if we can't do that, how do we expect to ask our children to make difficult decisions as well to follow Christ? What are the things that that Christ may be asking for us as parents and for our children uh, to give up in order to really give our attention to what it means to be a disciple, to grow in relationship with Jesus Christ. And immediately after Levi gave it up and he walked away, uh, he invited other people to come and to share a meal with Christ and himself. And immediately Jesus went and entered into intimate relationship, into a deep friendship, because sharing a meal with someone really, even in today's culture, but specifically in in a more profound sense in the biblical culture, uh, was a very serious thing. If you're going to have a meal with someone, you are sharing your life with that person, and it's a big deal. And so here it is, Jesus, as soon as he responded and said, yes, I will follow you, Jesus said, okay, I am now here with you and in relationship with you because I long to give you life and life abundantly. And so whatever that thing is that we're being called to let go of or our children are being called to let go of, the reward for that discipleship is relationship with Jesus. Our reading from church history today comes from the detailed rules for monks by St. Basil the Great. And in this, he shows something that I think is really very salient to our discussion today about the difference between just giving our kids the information about the faith and giving them uh, the life of the disciple. Love of God is not something that we can be taught. We did not learn from someone else how to rejoice in light or want to live or to love our parents or guardians. It is the same, perhaps even more so, with our love for God. It does not come by another's teaching. As soon as the living creature, that is man, comes to be, a power of reason is implanted in us like a seed, containing within it the ability and the need to love. When the school of God's law admits this power of reason, it cultivates it. It diligently, skillfully nurtures it, and with God's help, brings it to perfection. For this reason, as by God's gift, I find you with the zeal necessary to attain this end, and you, on your part, help me with your prayers, I will try to fan into flame the spark of divine love that is hidden within you 
as far as I am able through the power of the Holy Spirit. First, let me say that we have already received from God the ability to fulfill all his commands. We have then no reason to resent them, as if something beyond our capacity were being asked of us. We have no reason either to be angry, as if we had to pay back more than we had received. When we use this ability in a right and fitting way, we lead a life of virtue and holiness. But if we misuse it, we fall into sin. This is the definition of sin, the misuse of powers given us by God for doing good, a use contrary to God's commandments. On the other hand, the virtue that God asks of us is the use of the same powers based on a good conscience in accordance with God's command. Since this is so, we can say the same about love. Since we received a command to love God, we possess from the very first moment of our existence an innate power and ability to love. The proof of this is not to be sought outside ourselves, but each one can learn this from himself and in himself. It is natural for us to want things that are good and pleasing to the eye. Even though at first different things seem beautiful and good to different people, in the same way, we love what is related to us or near to us, though we have not been taught to do so, and we spontaneously feel well disposed to our benefactors. What, I ask, is more wonderful than the beauty of God? What thought is more pleasing and satisfying than God's majesty? What desire is as urgent and overpowering is the desire implanted by God in a soul that is completely purified of sin and cries out in its love, I am wounded by love. The radiance of the divine beauty is altogether beyond the power of words to describe. That reading comes from the detailed Rules for Monks by St. Basil the Great. And this, I think, is such a relief to us as parents. that It takes a huge burden off because it's not our job as a parent to make our children love God. It's our job as a parent to show God to our children because in seeing God, they will love him. This ceases to be about education. Uh, my family right now is listening to the story of, uh, of St. Joan of Arc, and she was not well-educated, but what she had was a picture of the love of God. And in that picture of God's goodness and his majesty and his beauty, she fell deeply in love with God and gives us a picture of how we can foster that same love in our children, not merely through education, but in giving them a clear picture of God's majesty and his love. That's all the time we have for this week. Today's show is brought to you by Christopher Robin Weber and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link to join their numbers. Don't forget to tell me about a parenting win over on social media this week. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.